Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. This, this is John Odermatt, your Felony Friday host, with my daughter, Ruby. Ruby, Ruby. Ruby Odermatt. Yes. Say your last name. Uh, well, Odermatt is my middle name. That's your last name. <laughs> Okay, well, let's, um, you know, we wanted to come and talk to the audience today about yes, a couple we things. Did. Yeah, <laughs> we did. So, are you uh, you excited about Christmas? Excited. Santa's coming tonight, and we get to open presents before, before um, Santa's coming tonight. It's very exciting. Yes. Ruby's five years old. She's very excited. And we just wanted to come to you all and all wish you a... Happy Christmas. A happy Christmas, a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And we wanted to thank you all for listening to the Lions of Liberty. Well, yeah, but I got a lot of toys. Yeah, got a lot of toys. And I went into my Mimi and Pappy's for Christmas and we opened presents. That's always exciting, getting presents from Mimi and Pappy. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Do you want to tell the all the listeners anything else, Ruby? Um. Well. How about we, we say? I, how about we say thank you for thank listening. You, thank you for listening, and thanks for supporting the Lions of Liberty. And I got a new computer from my store. Well, that's a good point, Ruby, because thanks to our supporters, our patrons with Lions of Liberty, um, Daddy was able to get a new computer. As was uh, Mark and Brian were too. We have new equipment, new stuff to work with, and we're ready to hit the ground running in 2021. So that's exciting, right? Well, yeah. I always play with magnets. And Ruby always plays with my magnets I have on my desk. So, all right, well, that's it. And Uh, just wanted to come here and thank you all and wish you all a Merry Christmas. Bye. 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 Enjoy the show. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And in a moment, I have a couple big announcements to make about changes to the show, to this show, to Felony Friday, coming in the new year in 2021. Before I do that, I just want to remind everyone listening, if you haven't, if you haven't subscribed to the Lions of Liberty podcast on your Apple podcast or your Stitcher or your Overcast or your Spotify or wherever you listen, do it. Do it now. Why wouldn't you? It's easy. The show just comes right to your phone and you click listen. And then if you, after you do that, or if you've already done that, please leave us a five-star rating or a review. Uh, just go into your, your app. We prefer the best place to do it is Apple Podcasts, even if you don't listen there, because that helps us the most with the algorithms, algorithms, and that's where the most of the listens come from. So if you do it there, that's great. And leave us a five-star rating, nice little review. You can ask us a question we can address on the show if you would like to. And if you've done that, please Go and uh, join the Lions of Liberty Pride. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. You get all of our bonus content, 
Uh, Degenerate Gamblers, our show we have about gambling and telling random stories about our past. Conspiracy Corner, where we talk about conspiracies. Shocking. And uh, bonus content. You get access to episodes earlier than everyone else. All these Dave Smith debates that Mark's been hosting. You get to watch them live in our Lines of Liberty Pride. Plus, we have merchandise and all kinds of stuff that we throw in. Plus, access to the hosts with monthly Zoom calls if you're at a, a certain level. All kinds of good stuff. Crazy good stuff. Maybe the best uh, incentives and um, content in any libertarian or, we'll just say any uh, podcast patron group ever. I'll just say that. I mean, maybe that's a little bit uh, over the top, but you know what? We are over the top. So I've been talking for too long here during this intro. I want to get to the most important part. There are changes coming to Felony Friday. The biggest change being the name. Now, I'll go more in depth about this um, on episode zero of the news show, which uh, I'm, I'm not going to unveil it yet. I, I'll wait. I'll, I'll tell you this. It's going to be on Thursdays instead of Fridays. Um, it's still going to focus on individuals who have been wronged by the criminal justice system, individuals trying to change the criminal justice system and find solutions. But it's also going to have a broader scope. And I'll go into more detail again on episode zero, which will air on uh, January 7th, I believe. Um, but it's going to be more broad. And I, I'm going to talk to more people outside of the criminal justice system, people who have overcome obstacles throughout life, um, be it maybe immigrating into this country and starting a business and building yourself up from uh, pulling yourself up from your bootstraps. Stories like that, stories overcoming health obstacles, overcoming, um, you know, just uh, poverty, uh, thing, things of that nature, overcoming the odds to find your freedom. So I'll unveil more about the show, and I'm really, really excited about it. I think it's going to be great for Lions of Liberty as a whole. The Felony Friday brand is great. I will always treasure it. The work that was done under that label, um, it's going to stop. I mean, we'll still keep all the merchandise, all that stuff available. All the back episodes will be there. And maybe I'll re-interview some of the people uh, from that uh, from Felony Friday on, on the new podcast. I'm, I'm super excited about it, and I hope you guys are too. If you'd like, maybe I'll, I'll give a little preview in more detail to our Pride members in our Facebook group ahead of the 7th. So if you want to get access to that, here's some more details early up, or maybe you can give me some live feedback. Um, join the Lions of Liberty Pride, like I mentioned earlier, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. This is a very, very long intro. Let's get rolling with today's show. My guest today on Felony Friday is Malisha Johnson. Malisha was arrested in 2010 and sentenced to 144 months for wire fraud. She did over 10 years of that time. Just recently, um, she was released on November 18th. And that was due to uh, COVID, and she is on home confinement now, and she's here to share her story. Malisha, welcome to Felony Friday. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, sharing your story. And before we get to talking about, I know it's, I'm sure it's very fresh in your mind, um, the emotions, I'm sure it's very raw uh, of getting, you know, released and getting to see your family and being released on home confinement. And I definitely want to talk about that. Before we get to that, though, let's start at the beginning. And 
really to give my audience a, a better idea of who you are and to understand the entire ordeal of, of what you've been through over the last uh, 10 plus years here. So if we could kind of start at the beginning and if you could share with my audience um, what your life was like, uh, you know, before you were arrested. Okay. Um, prior to my arrest, I was a single mother. Um, my son was 14 years old at the time. I lived in the community. I was self-employed as an event planner, very active in the community with the Chamber of Commerce, the Conventions Bureau, um, was a church member, spent time with a lot of family and, and friends in the community, and just pretty much going back and forth from work to church to, to home, n- living a normal life. What you were convicted of was wire fraud. Can you take us yes. through and explain you know, exactly you know, what that means or how you, how you ended up in that, in that situation? Yes. Um, wire fraud is actually when your transaction doing transactions from one account to another account. And that's what I was actually doing in my business. Um, I actually had, um, one account and I was using other accounts to actually, um, take care of my employees. And it was, that's what was created the wire transfer. And it was not the account the account that I transferred the money out was not my account. So, so this was for a, a business that you were operating. Yes, sir. What was the business? It was called memory makers event planning. That was the name of my business. Um, and it just, you know, just a lot of pressure, you know, just trying to, to live up, set a standard and, and just got kind of caught up in some, some activity there, which, ultimately led the last 10 years of my life. So when you were, uh, you know, when you were making these, these transactions, did you, I mean, did you have an idea that you were doing something illegal? Oh yes. I I knew, but at the same token, I struggled a lot with my pride, self-esteem, just trying to look good in other people's eyes. And when I did it, you know, I was very remorseful, was trying to stop, wanted to stop. And then all of this just kind of blew up, you know, on me. So. Did you know that, uh, it could carry, you know, this type of penalty with it doing 10 years in prison? Definitely not. Yeah. I had no, I knew, I knew it would have served some time when it came out of it. Number one, I didn't know it was going to be a federal offense. And then number two, the length of time, I had no clue that I would have received a 12 year sentence. So, so even, what, even at the time of my sentencing, I didn't even realize when they when they called it out that that 144 months was actually months. I didn't even hear that at the time of the sentence. Yeah, it's, it's weird how they always say that in months. It's very confusing. You need yeah. to. I would yeah. need to pull out a calculator and try to figure that out. Exactly, because when I got back to the county jail and I was talking to my sisters on the phone, I asked them. I said, "How much time did I get?" And they said, you didn't hear? I said, no, I heard them say, you know, some months, but I wasn't sure exactly how much time. And that's when they broke it down and said it was 12 years. So the first time you heard that, when you heard 12 years, what was your, I mean, what was your reaction to that? What was your, what was your mindset? Oh, devastated. I um, hung up the phone, um, just went in my room and just kind of just, couldn't believe that I had got myself into that mess. And then exactly, then I had to go back and call my son and explain it to him that his mother 
was not coming home and to give him the length of time that I had to be away. It was just actually devastating. I just, I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to do anything. I just felt like all hope was gone. And even prior to that, John, even before getting the sentence, um, I actually just couldn't believe that I got myself into the mess to be involved with the U.S. Marshals and the federal. And I, I tried to take my life even prior to that. And so when I decided that I got to do this, this is something I have to do. And then when I did it, I received 12 years. So it was, it was very hard. What made it a federal offense? Because, because what happened, what made it a federal offense is when the money got transferred on, um, was it a debit card? And then when you're using the money over enough from one state to the next state, that's what made it because I was going from state to state, the money that I had on my card and I was using them in different states. Gotcha. Gotcha. When you were arrested, how did the actual arrest go down? Did they, I mean, did they raid your business or what happened? No, when I got it, well, actually, um, Steve, I turned myself in, but that was after I had kind of, when I found out that the, U.S. government was looking for me, I I went away. I went away. I went ahead and, and got my office cleaned out, um, tried to make arrangements of who was going to take care of my son. And I left because I just couldn't, you know, the pride, you know, letting people know what I did because this was like very embarrassing. So I, I caught myself trying to leave and just, just, just to, to end it. I didn't want to just start in life again. So I went to New York, and while I was there in New York, the U.S. Marshal, um, he found me, and he called me. And he was very, you know, he was very nice and everything, and he just knew that I was going to turn myself in. And I told him that that was not going to happen. And he said, I talked to too many people who knew you, and they said that, you know, the kind of reputation and the character that I have. So he knew I was going to turn myself in. And after maybe a couple of weeks of just being miserable, just being miserable, like I just, running, you know, just even in the streets of New York, just wanting a car to hit me, you know, just nothing would happen. I was just miserable. Um, and each time that I would call and I would talk to my pastor, to family, they would just say, turn yourself in, turn yourself in. Um, and then eventually my father got arrested and that's what I knew that I had to come on here to do. So I got on the plane, um, headed to Georgia, stayed with my sister overnight to give my son, you know, his final goodbye. And that next morning I went, um, after taking these pills, um, my aunt drove me to the county, but I made a stop at the hospital because of the pills. So, so that's when you, that was your attempt when you tried to take your, your life? Yes. Yes, it was. Wow. How old was, was your son at the time? He, he was 14, 13 going on 14. He had just okay. turned that age because he had a birthday when I was leaving. And um, You said before that, you know, when you found out when you were sentenced and you found out the 144 months and then when finally, you know, your, your, uh, your family told you, you know, what the, what the year breakdown was, um, had your, your lawyer not prepped you for, for what the, for what the sentence could be or. Well, my lawyer told me that I was facing that I can get between 18 to 24 months if I signed a plea. So 
oh, two years, I can do that. So he told me 18, 24 months. And that was the impression that I thought I was getting. So when I'm here in months, and then that's what he was telling me, you know, I didn't understand how it jumped from 18 to 24 months to 144 months. Did your, so I was told did your lawyer give you any, uh, did he say why? Or why was there such a discrepancy between what was expected and the, and the sentence? Any idea there? After sentencing, I haven't heard any more from him. After we tried to call him, try to reach out to him, and he wouldn't respond. He never, he he never responded to anything. Wow, that's unbelievable. Okay, so you're sitting in you're sitting in prison. Where was the first? What was the first uh, facility they sent you to? Tallahassee, Florida. I was in the Federal Correctional Institute in Tallahassee, Florida. That's where you were the entire time? No, sir. I no. went from Tallahassee to uh, Alabama, Alliceville. The FBI there worked my way down to a camp, and I ended up in Coleman, Florida camp. That's where I was released from in Coleman, Florida. Okay. So four institutions. So um, from the you know the original time, you, you're talking about the, the devastation that you're feeling. You're facing serving, you know, 12 years you and, and you end up serving 10 plus years and yeah. you went from just being totally devastated. What got you through serving that time? How were you able to, um, you know, change your mindset to, uh, you know, come out on the other side and be here, you know, talking with me today to, to share your story. Well, John, the first thing when I got there, I was heavily um, on mental health medication. Um, I was, almost close to 300 pounds. I was eating, sleeping, depressed, constantly crying. Um, I didn't know how my life, how, how was I going to make it? I was there with, with people who I just never thought I would be incarcerated with some of the charges, you know, and, and now since I've been doing time with these people, they, they they made mistakes too. They, they got caught up in bad situations as well. So it's definitely not a judgment, you know, anymore as it once was, but, um, I have to give credit to Jesus. That's that's the only person that I can give credit to because I could not have done this time without Jesus, my loving family, my father and my two sisters, my son, and just the, the other support, the countless support that I got from the peers that was there that was constantly encouraging me, telling me who I was, um, the worst that I had. And, you know, um, slowly but surely my mindset began to change and I just, I started doing it started doing things to, to better myself as well as to be a, a positive role model to the other ladies that was there, especially the other young ladies. So they won't be, you know, in a situation that, um, to be 12 years in prison like I had to do or close to 12 years. Is there a single moment or maybe a series of, uh, you know, of moments that you can reflect on where you can look back and say, you know, that's, you know, that's when I change, you know, that, that's when I, uh, you know, so, something clicked. Yes, I was actually in the shoe. Um, I was in Tallahassee and probably in 2015, um, I was in the shoe. I got kind of caught up with something that somebody else had did. And during that time that had me under investigation and I knew that I didn't do what they were saying that I was doing. I was like, how am I going to explain this to my family? How in the world will... Um, I tell them I'm in jail, in the jail. Um, and you know, if we needed an attorney, how was this going to happen? So I was in the shoe 
and I was alone. And that's it. that is when I knew that something in my life had to change. I could not constantly go through the same things that I was going through. I couldn't constantly put my family, because like I said, from the beginning, you know, my sisters and my father has been there from the very beginning. And, and it was, it wasn't just affecting me, but it was affecting them. It was affecting my son who my oldest sister had to raise. You know, she had two sons of her own. She took my son in and, you know, she was a single mother as well. And, so I, I knew that something in militia had to change. And I feel I, I, I laid on that floor in that shoe. I, I spent several days not eating just just because I had to to get my mind together. I, something had to happen in me. And that's when I just prayed out to God. And I just asked God to, to change me, help me to become a better person, help me not to keep doing the same things that I was doing to feel love or to accept it or to be to feel like I had to do something. Other people had to validate my worth. And then from that time on, other young ladies started coming into the shoe and they had some of the similar problems that I was dealing with, you know, whether it was with family members or just different addictions or different things that they was dealing with. And I knew that I had to tell them my story. I had to tell them things that how I'm trying to change so it can help them, you know, try to keep this cycle from constantly coming back in it. But it was in that shoe that a long time I spent maybe from November to March in the shoot. And when I tell you that a long time sitting there, just constantly, you know, reading my Bible, reading other books, you know, just trying to be a help to other people, you know, there, that, that, but that was a life changing moment. It was in 2015 in the shoe. So that was, that was four, you said four months or what you said, November to March, five, yeah. five months, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what would a day, What's an example of, of what a day would look like in the shoe? Would you get any time out of solitary? Well, um, they only let you out for an hour a day uh, for rec, and you're in a cage, you know, just kind of like a, you know, like you see a, a, in a kennel and you put a dog or something in the cage. So they let you out an hour a day, and you're in there by yourself. There's no chair, so you're just kind of sitting out on a concrete floor. Um, you may see some of the other inmates around, but they let you out an hour a day. Um, every other week, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, we was allowed to shower. Um, so outside of those days, we couldn't shower. On the weekends, we couldn't. Holidays, we couldn't. So um, they bring our meals through the flat. You know, um, it's not cold, hot when we get it. So, you know, you just kind of, it's you was really in survival mode in the shoot. That's, you was in the survival mode um, while you was there. But it definitely didn't, you know, just get an hour a day to go out. And if it was raining, we couldn't go out. Was it hard to um, integrate back into the general population in the prison coming out of the shoe after you're kind of not used to having a lot of interaction with people? Well, I didn't want to leave. I had actually um, put in to be on protective custody. I didn't want to leave because I was so used to, to being in there. I was. Um, it really, I was complacent. I was kind of comfortable there. And plus I didn't want to go back out into general population. So by me putting in a a protection um, order, then I put in a transfer and that's how I left Tallahassee and went to Alaska, Alabama. Okay. But definitely the the adjustment is is totally different because you're so used to a routine and certain things happen in a certain way at a certain time. So, yes. Yeah, I had a. Uh, I, I interviewed a couple weeks ago a uh, 
a guy who's actually sitting on, on death row right now in, uh, in North Carolina. And he was talking about after some of his, his stays in, uh, in solitary and then going back into, you know, the population where you're interacting with some other people that even just, uh, going up and down steps and, uh, figuring out, you know, just, just doing normal things was, yeah. was, is very difficult yeah. cause you haven't done it in so long. Right. And see, and in, and in the show, one of the things that we did, like, because you knew you only had certain times to eat. So, you know, certain times we would try to save our food or to put it up so later so you wouldn't be hungry later. And then going back out into population, we didn't have to do that because we can go to the diner hall and we could eat. Or you had your canteen in your on in your locker. So I didn't have to hoard food like I was doing in the solitaire that I would do in population. Mm-hmm. Hey, everybody, taking a quick break here from the show. Wanted to remind you all to check out uh, my man Tyler Colford, a.k.a. Crypto Man, and his new song, Free Ross. If you didn't hear my recent interview with Lynn Ulbricht, that was episode Felony Friday, episode 230. Interviewed Lynn Ulbricht, played Tyler's song, uh, Free Ross. It's fantastic, phenomenal. Not just for uh, the message of freeing Ross Ulbricht, but overall for changing the broken criminal justice system. All the proceeds from uh, the Free Ross song, hashtag Free Ross by Crypto Man. You can find it on Spotify and Amazon, Amazon Music. 100% of the proceeds from the song, hashtag Free Ross by Crypto Man, go towards Free and Ross Ulbrich. So please check it out. These are perilous times when they ruin your lives over victimless crimes and they sever your ties from your business loved ones and family wide. New slave labor, they barely pay you. Don't care about work ethic or major. So, can you tell us about um, just the general uh, circumstances of, uh, of of the prison of, based on your, your experience? Um, I know I've talked to. You know, a lot of other people who tell stories of, you know, witnessing abuse, of witnessing, uh, you know, the the BOP just just do, do, I mean, do some pretty pretty horrible things. Did you see anything like that? What was your overall experience like? Um, actually, I tried to stay out of the way, but one of the things that I that I didn't appreciate um, probably more is that we didn't have a voice there. Like there was nothing that we said that was right or true, you know, just because we're inmate, we don't know anything. Um, that was kind of some of the things that, um, that I experienced and I, you know, but, you know, as far as other violent things that took place, the medical staff was awful. You know, you have to be almost dead before they even try to even attempt to see about you, you know, because there's some people who, you know, do, do things for attention, but not everybody's trying to do anything. And while I was there, we did lose one lady um, due to COVID complications because she she told the medical staff that she had um, she needed her breathing treatment. And he told her the nurse told her it was at another facility. He wasn't going there to get it. The next day they took her. The ambulance came and got her and she passed away while she was in the hospital. She lost two left two sons um, behind young sons under both uh, in the age of 10. And it was just something like that. Something as simple is a person telling them that that their chest is hurting or they need to breathe the machine. You know, this is your job. You know, you may not want to do it. It may be an inconvenience, but especially when, you know, all this COVID was going on, we had pretty much out of the whole population, 70% of us. And I contracted a COVID while I was there as well. And they just, they were just so nonchalant. They didn't really, 
you know, just really try to take care of us the best that they could. Which they, we were just in there, and we had to basically take care of ourselves. So, what was your experience contracting COVID like? Was it was it a, a bad case or? Well, um, when I was one of the first people, out of the first ten people who told, who was told that I had COVID, first what they did, they we was all in one unit together. And, um, well, I was, there was four different units and I was in one unit and they said they was going to move my unit to another unit. And we was trying to tell the camp administrator that that was a bad idea because we already have limited social distancing now. And now you're going to cram us with more people, you know, that was just making it even worse. Mm-hmm. So when I was told that I had COVID, um, I knew that I had it because I did, I lost my taste and smell, but then as the days progressed, you know, I was having fever. My chest was like pounding. You know, it was just very heavy on me. Um, my oxygen kind of went down a little bit. But over the course of time, you know, I just kept trying to do what I can do for myself. I just continued to just pray and just just knew that I was coming out of there. I was coming home. This was not very my life was not going to end in prison. You know, I just knew that I had come too far. I knew that, you know, I'm not the same person that I was that walked into that prison in 2010 or to the jail in 2010. So I just kept trying to do what I knew to do. And, and the other inmates, they was, everybody was so helpful. And one of the things that people don't understand is that when you do time with a person, they become your family. I did 10 years in prison. Mm -hmm. So these, some of these ladies are, we're just close to each other. But, but one of the things going back to the COVID situation is that, you know, it was kind of hard, but over time, and I just kept trying to just um, take care of myself the best way that I knew I could. And, and eventually um, I was good, but I did leave some ladies behind that was still sick. Well, let's talk about your uh, your release and getting out on on home confinement. And I know you're still on home confinement, but I mean to have to have uh, some freedom um, that that's got to feel amazing. So if you can take yeah. us through how you you know the the process of how you found out and you know what what that was like uh, like to go through. Okay, probably in March or April. I think it was March of this year the CARES Act um, by Attorney General Barr went into to effect. And so when COVID came in, so they was talking, there was a list of ladies that was scheduled to be released. And some of these ladies I have known for my whole bid. Some of them still had 10 years left. Some of them still had six years, um, you know, 12 years left on their sentence. And they was eligible to be released. Um, so, and I was happy for them. They, they were starting to leave. Um, and everything. And, um, you had to have a certain score in order to be eligible for their release. And so, um, eventually my name wasn't up then it went probably September, um, because of my reclassification and my case manager told me, she said that, um, your name is on the list. So we're going to process you. And John to hear that after being incarcerated for 10 years like I just couldn't believe that my time finally came you know and so you know we went through the process of making sure that we had a home um that I can go to make sure I had support um and just different things to that nature but um two months later um I lost they gave me a date for October 28th and they took it from me they were saying that um one of the case managers or CMC gave me a date 
And I guess they gave me a date prematurely. And mm. so after giving me a date and then taking it from me, but I just couldn't believe that God had brought me that far to leave me. And two weeks, another week later, they gave me the date for November 18. And that was just the best news, the best everything to know that after 10 years, I can finally be reconnected to my parents, to my, my sisters, my nephews, my niece, my son, my daughter. Just It was just so much. It was just words can't even really explain it to, to know. And then I still had two years left on my sentence. So I'm very grateful for that. So take us through that, you know, the actual day when you got out. Um, who came and picked you up? Um, well, I mean, what, what was that like, you know, stepping out of that... Uh, of that facility. Well, it was, it was really a moment to, I couldn't believe it because the day before it was scheduled for me to release, they told us they lost our COVID test. So they had to retest us again and I couldn't believe it. I was like, Oh God. Wow. So I was really on pins and needles that night. Um, just hoping because I've seen so many girls lose their date the same day. Families come the same day and they tell them they couldn't go anywhere. But, they called my name and I went to R and D and I saw my father and my older sister Mavis out there. And like, I don't, these, these are the same two people who have been there my entire, and I have another sister Muriel. She's been there. They've been there my entire sentence. And for them to be there, I'm looking out the door and I'm actually rushing R and D not knowing that I'm rushing. I guess I was just so anxious to, to hurry up and just get out that door, but to, get out that door and to hug my father, you know, who, you know, who's been there the whole time. It was just, it was amazing. It was amazing. And, you know, my sister, she was there and they always offered me support, love through the phone, the emails, you know, the visits when they could, you know, just to, and then to be in a car and just to go, not handcuffed, not shackled and to just leave the prison just to mm-hmm. leave the prison ground. It was a feeling that I cannot, um, it was, it was a good day. It was, a, it was a very good day and I'm very grateful for that day. Um, but it was, it was wonderful. And it was, it was, it was just, it's leaving me speechless. I'm emotional right now. Just thinking about it, just to know that 10 years and I finally made it. I finally made it. You know, and it wasn't nothing that no paperwork that I had to do, no, no clemency, no 2255. It was just, it's just like it just happened. And I'm just so grateful. But it was a very emotional day for everybody. I'll bet it was. I mean, I'm sure that's, that's an event that, uh, you know, you'd be pictured in your mind over and over again of, uh, of walking out of that prison. So, and it finally happened. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it finally happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're on home confinement now. Um, I assume that means that you have some sort sort of monitor that you that's on you, or how does that work? Yes, I have a leg monitor on, but with the COVID release, because I still had two more years or maybe a year and a, um, eight months left on my sentence. The ones that was released on COVID, um, they want us to do the remaining of our sentence on our leg monitor. Um, that's what they're saying. So. I do have a leg monitor. The halfway house is the one that monitors me. Um, they're like about 45 minutes away from me. They call me three times a day per shift to make sure I'm here. Um, I'm able to leave to go to doctor visits, 
or um, every now and then they may let me go to the grocery store to, you know, to get some essentials or different things of that nature. But I am allowed to go to the doctor's appointment. I have to, matter of fact, they called me probably right before um, I got on with you. I have to report up there for a wellness check. And let's just kind of see how things are going, take a UA test and, and different things of that nature. But they are, they are allowed to work. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, are you permitted to work? Yes, we are permitted to work. Um, the instructions from the halfway house, they told me that I have to find the job online. Once I get the job, then they'll approve of my pass to go into my interview. Then just because they hire me don't mean that I'll get the job. So it depends on the halfway house, whether they allow me to take the job or not. They will let them know, the, the employer know that this person is still a part of the BOP. Um, so, you know, occasionally we, you know, we'll call and make sure she's here or come by, but they're letting them know that I'm still incarcerated. So I've seen some girls that couldn't get jobs because certain jobs didn't want somebody that's still incarcerated or to have, you know, that kind of the probation officers or the halfway house come in and, and checking their things. And then there's some that is allowing it. So. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, they make it very, very difficult. Um, I, I can only imagine that, you know, what if you were released and you didn't have, you know, a relative or, or family to, to stay with? I mean, I'm sure there's people in that situation. Just, well, one I mean, of the things that they do access prior to leaving is who is your family support? Because now the BOP does take care of our medical expenses. But like right now, the responsibility is on my family to make sure I eat, to make sure, you know, to, to everything else until I'm able to get a job, you know, but um, that's one of the things. And if you don't have an address and if the probation officer or the halfway house don't approve it, they won't let you go. But you do have to have someone who's willing to say that I'm willing to accept this person and they can stay in this home to this lift of time or the remainder of the sentence that I'm willing to provide and take care of them. So a lot of responsibilities on my sister. My sister has to, you know, drive me wherever I need to go. You know, she has to, her, her privacy was invaded, you know, as well, because, you know, the probation officers or the halfway house got to constantly call, like they'll call after 1230 at night, you know, just to make sure or hmm. to do virtual um, visits. So, you know, I'm very grateful to my sister as well, because once again, she's still doing this time with me, you know, even though I'm, I'm not physically in prison, but she's still riding right here with me. So I'm very grateful to her for that. Yeah, I mean that's. I think that's something that it, it is talked about a lot. You know, I think that that is. I guess one thing that that's, that's pretty common is that you know a lot of people that that I do speak with, it's so important to have family support or friends who are supporting you to uh, to get through this because there's a lot of people who don't have that support, don't have that uh, you know that safety net to uh, to fall back on, and that just right. makes it makes it a lot more difficult. And that's, I think that's when. A lot of the recidivism um, comes in when you know, yeah. people don't have a network and they fall back into other habits, you know, that got them in the bad yeah. situation in the first place. Because I'm going to be honest with you, the transition is not easy. You know, um, matter of fact, a friend of mine was talking about maybe doing like a Zoom support group, you know, for those of us who have been down for a while. You know, I have not been around my family for 10 years. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've changed. They changed. So it's like we got to, you know, re and um, know each other again it's it's not it's not easy but we do thank god for the people that are still in our life and they're still you know wanting it but 
it's been a struggle, even though I haven't physically been out, just the emotional of not being able to, you know, go out or whatever. It's, it's, it's hard. So this transition, um, we do need each other. The, the ones that, and that's one of the things that I understand, you know, and I understand them saying that, you know, as far as convicted felons can't be together, but some of us created a familyhood in there and some of us, we help each other. We, we, we help each other out of situations. So, you know, I still beg to differ with that because we need each other. Yeah, that's a really good idea to have a, a virtual support group. Yeah, but I don't. I mean, is that is that something that they even allow? You know, because like like you were saying, the felons aren't supposed to aren't supposed to see each other. But can you see each other virtually? Well, they let us go to meetings together. Like we got group meetings, so we're going to okay. be together in group meetings. You know, and that's physical presence. Right. So right. I don't see why, but you know, I don't know to be honest with you. So you were talking a little bit about, uh, you know, the difficulties uh, reintegrating back into, uh, you know, with your family. Your family's changed. You've changed. Um, What about, like, from a a technology standpoint? Has that been, you know, difficult figuring that stuff out? I'm still trying to use it. You see, it took me a minute to get the Zoom together. (laughs) I'm still trying to lose it. So, So many things have changed, like, I can't, like, I'm still trying. I'm still trying. So um, I was blessed to get a laptop. So I said, I'm just going to spend the whole day to just try to figure out, you know, just take my time and just go through it. But technology has changed so much. You can talk in a remote control and it, it cuts on the TV or you can just, you know, like there's so much things that just, it's changed. But um, I figured it out. We'll just little by little, step by step, just taking baby steps and one day at a time. Yep, yep. I, I have no doubt you'll figure it out. Just takes time, and it's only been a little more than a month. So uh, I think, I mean, you're doing. I think you're ahead of schedule already, being able to you know get on this call and uh, and handle all this stuff. And, so, and there definitely was no Zoom before I went in. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Zoom has picked up. You know, with uh, with COVID, it's been like for a while there. It was like hit or miss. Even you know, I just. Not everyone used Zoom, you know, even in prison or not, you know, coming out. It was, but with uh, with COVID and everyone needed to be able to interact virtually. Now everyone uses Zoom, so yeah, that's a that's a crucial thing to learn. Um, yeah. I, I did want to ask you uh, one last question here. Um, you know, kind of looking forward. I know you have two more years on on the home confinement. So looking past that, you know, looking five years, ten years out into your future. Um, if you were going to, you know, set some, uh, you know, like a personal goal or something you'd like to accomplish, or maybe it could be a family goal. I, I don't know. Um, it, where do you see yourself in, in five to 10 years? Well, I see myself in five, 10 years, um, actually giving back. Um, I want to give back to the community. I want to give back to the people who, has added in my life, not whether they know they did or they didn't know they did. Um, being an advocate for prison prisoners, I've been there, so I know what it's like. I know the help that's needed. Um, and I know you heard me talk about my faith, you know, a couple of times on here. And I want to really go out into the churches and, and educate them on what effective prison ministry really is. You know, sometimes, you know, you can say, well, we do this, we do this, but there's so much more that's needed you know, for people who's incarcerated um, before they get incarcerated, during incarceration, and even after 
you know, we get out, you know, we just need more support from the community, you know, not so many looking at us with eyes of judgment. You know, a lot of us, uh, the majority of us, you know, all of us did things that we shouldn't have done, you know, and, and we just didn't get caught. Some just got caught. So don't look at us any different because we're the ones that got caught, you know, but definitely as um, going forth, you know, being that, you know, family person, you know, being there, my son is expecting twins. So yes, I've missed the last 10 years out of his life, but I plan on being the best grandmother that I can be to his two boys that's coming up. Um, so, you know, just spending time with my family, getting to know them all over again and just, just doing things differently this time. Just, just using his heart for good and just doing the things that I know I've been called to do. Hundred percent. That sounds like a sounds like an awesome plan. And before I let you go here, I always give my guests a chance if you want to plug anything, or if you just want to give some uh, some parting words of advice to uh, anyone listening out there. There's one thing that I want I want to say on um, to the families that have members that are incarcerated. Um, forgiveness is is the biggest thing, you know. You know, there's some people that's there and there's some people who's not. And, it's, you know, it's your choice. But forgiveness is so important to them. And sometimes just a simple card in the mail or a simple just a picture that those things mean so much to those who are incarcerated. And um, the ones that have done time, forgive yourself. You know, you did your time, you know, forgive yourself, move on. You know, we we've learned a lot of good skills while we was there. Take some of those skills, whether it was self-help or whether you got it from somebody else or whatever the case may be. Do it and, and, and make yourself a, a bigger, better person. Show them that you're not where you came from. You know, yes, that's a part of our story is our testimony, but we can grow from it and we can help other people from making the same mistakes that we made. And just 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 go out and just take it one day at a time and be better now than what we used to be. So that's my advice to those that's there and, and family we thank you for your support. We thank you for your love. We thank you for just being there and just notice that whatever you do does not go unnoticed. That's great advice. Well, Melissa, thank you for being generous with your time and sharing your story today. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode of Felony Friday, another awesome episode. Just want to remind everyone, before you get going here, off to your next uh, next podcast or your shuffle or whatever it is you're doing with your, uh, your day today, I want to thank you for giving me your time and uh, listening to this interview. I want to ask you, please to share this with a friend. The only way that we're going to expand this message that we're going to reform this criminal justice system is by sharing interviews just like this with your network. Very easy to do. And I also want to ask you to please, if you have not yet checked it out, you need to go to the Lions of Liberty store. It's lionsofliberty.store. We have a bunch of new T-shirt designs, really interesting stuff, really eye-catching designs. Uh, Of course, our taxation is death shirt has been a hit. It's selling like crazy. We now have the the tax on wax off shirt, just awesome. And and there's more coming. We're really trying to get into uh, what we're calling it the Lions of Liberty brand of shirts. So you're going to get the cool design on the front and then up, just real small, up by the tag on the back, you're going to have our Are You Ready to Roar logo. Uh, we're trying to, you know, take another angle here and 
influence people through, uh, you know, some snazzy t-shirts. So check it out, lionsofliberty.store. And remember, if you're in the Lions of Liberty Pride, you get 20% off. So for as little as five bucks a month, you're going to get 20% off all your t-shirt orders. So to join the Pride, go to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. And with that being said, guys, thank you so much for joining me. Have a great weekend or week or whenever you're listening to this. Just have an awesome day. I'll talk to you next week. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire is a liberty burning.